Matthew 13, verses 1 through 17. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts Heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it have ears to hear and eyes to see. How many of you have ever been scolded with these words? You are hearing me, but you're not listening. This type of thing is often said with young children, is it not? You see, a child learns early on that if they just say yes to their parents, even if they are not paying attention, then their parents will often leave them alone and they can go back to whatever they were doing in the first place. But we do this as adults as well, do we not? We we, we find ourselves in a situation and a friend or a colleague will give us some advice, but but we have already made up our minds. And and so while we hear them out, uh, we are not really listening. So why do we do this? I think there are two things at play here. And the first, the first why we hear them out is because we value our friendships. So, we, so we, we, we hear the person's words simply out of common courtesy. The second is our pride. We, we, we tend to think that we know what is best in every situation, even if that, that, that situation is new to us. The, the possibility that, that we might not be right is, is unthinkable. And bottom line is, is that we lack humility. As we continue through our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we have reached what is known as the third 
uh, of five major discourses that Jesus gives and that Matthew records for us. And it is in this third lengthy teaching uh, that, that we see it, it comes off the heels of a time in Jesus' ministry where he faced rejection on a number of different levels. Matthew has been building the tension in the narrative and has, he has finally brought us to a tipping point. And, it, and this is reflected in an escalation in unbelief. We, we, we saw the example of people with tiny doubts and John the Baptist. And then we saw a lack of repentance among the masses as Jesus declared woes on the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And finally, we saw the, the, the hostility and the hardening of hearts on the part of the Pharisees as they plotted to kill Jesus and in doing so ended up blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Though Christ's teachings were unmatched and, and the, the fact that he was performing many miracles, what we find going on here is, is a strange phenomenon indeed. You see, despite Jesus' popularity, and although the masses were following him, the majority of them were not listening to what he said. For if they had, they would have repented. Instead, what we see going on are people showing up, each with their own motives. There, there, there were some that, that, that were only looking for healing. They wanted, the, they wanted ease from the burdens of this life and nothing more. Then there were others that were, that were there simply for the show. They wanted to see what this miracle man could do. And of course, there were the Pharisees, who only showed up to disrupt Jesus' ministry. They were there looking for opportunities to discredit this man. But my guess is that the majority of the people were there for a different reason altogether. Do you remember from chapter 12 after Jesus had healed the, the, the demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute? Do you remember what the crowds were asking? Let's look again at, at Matthew 12, verse 23. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? I think this is what drew most of the crowds. They were, they were showing up expecting something. They, they, they were hoping that, that, that Jesus would finally come out and just, just say it. That, that he would declare himself as the Messiah. You see, the, the, the people, they were ready to pick up their swords and follow this man into battle. They, they wanted him to lead them as a conquering king. One who would ultimately rid Israel of its Roman problem. They they, they would die for this man so long as his cause was the same as theirs. And yet, they were not willing to listen to his words, to turn from their sins when he preached to them repentance. These were the, were the forceful men who wanted to lay hold of the kingdom, even though they refused to listen to what their king was asking them to do. But there was another set of people in the midst of this crowd, was there not? There were those whom Jesus considered to be his family. And this is what we saw last week when Jesus referred to his disciples, the, these ones who were doing his father's will. He, he, he called them brothers and sisters and mothers. They were the ones with the soft hearts 
And so when we come to a story like the one that we have today, we are coming at a, at a crossroads in Jesus' ministry, a turning point, if you will, where, where he changes his preaching style as a response to a crowd that will not listen. He is now speaking to the masses using parables. Up to now, Christ has been straightforward in his teaching. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Everything is clear and, and laid out for the people. It is a message about having repentant hearts for kingdom living. And if you look at his second discourse in Matthew 10, we don't see any obscure language as Jesus was warning the twelve about the dangers that they would face as he sent them out to proclaim the good news. Up until this point, everything has been clear and focused. But, but here we are given parables, teachings that are, that are difficult to interpret and can leave many baffled. So what changed? Why this, why this new methodology? Our, our text for today answers that question for us. So let's dive in and see what that answer is. Look at verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, Sorry for the abrupt stop there, but be, before we get to that parable, let's talk about the setting. Matthew starts us out by saying that it was the same day. The same day as what? It was the same day when Jesus' mother and brothers came looking for him. The, the same day when he, point, when he pointed to his disciples, calling them his family. And from Mark's gospel, we know that this was the same day when Jesus had healed the demon-possessed man and when the Pharisees blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You, you see, the, 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 the tension had reached a point where the kettle was about to boil. So what was Jesus to do? What did he do? We see that he goes out by the lake and sits down. Now this would have been his normal teaching position. He had intended for the crowds to come to him. But, the ma but as the masses gathered, they grew to the extent where Jesus had to, had to get on a boat in order for his voice to be amplified so that everyone could hear him. Matthew adds in this little detail just to let us know that, that the crowd that was around Jesus was massive. But how did Jesus respond to this gathering? He told them many things in parables. Now what is a parable? I think how many people tend to think of parables is that they are illustrative stories used to teach a moral lesson. Kind of like Aesop's fables. But, but, but here's where we, where we got to be careful. To, to narrow the, the, the teachings of Jesus down to just lessons on morality is to miss the forest for the trees. A better way of looking that, at this is, is using the context that Jesus gives to us. In this chapter, Jesus shares eight parables, six of which begin with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And the, and the other two are also linked to the kingdom. So what, so what Jesus is trying to teach us through these parables are truths concerning the kingdom of God. 
And so a better definition for our purposes would be this, an illustrative story that teaches the realities concerning the kingdom of heaven. But how does this work? How does one deduce the meaning of Jesus' parables? There has been much debate over the past century regarding this question. For throughout most of church history, people have interpreted these parables as if they were pure allegory. Kind of like Pilgrim's Progress, where, where each item and each character symbolized something else. And so if a story had a fish and a net, each of those things would be, would be representative of something else. But recently, there has been, been pushback against this model of interpretation. Instead, theologians are now arguing that a, that a parable is just a simple story trying to make a single point. So the fish is just a fish, and a net is just a net. One just has to figure out the, the, the overarching theme, and, and then you have the answer to your mystery. And while this newer approach has been helpful, it doesn't exactly do the trick every time. For when we see Jesus interpret some of his own parables, he employs allegory. So the truth of the matter probably lies somewhere in the middle. You see, there, there is a reason there is so much debate on this topic. These parables are tricky matters. And there isn't just one cookie-cutter method that will solve every story. And there is good reason for this. For as we'll see from our text, Jesus had meant for his parables to be difficult to understand. And this can be seen when we, when we listen to his first one. But, but before I read it to you, I want, I want you to try something for me. Uh, now, I'm sure that many of you have heard this parable before. And I'm sure if you've heard it before, then you've probably also heard Jesus' interpretation of this parable as well. So try, if you will, to forget all of that. Pretend you are sitting on that shore, listening to Jesus speak, and this is the first time that you are hearing it. You don't, you don't know the meaning, and you don't know why Jesus is telling you this story to begin with. So listen to this parable with fresh ears. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now what can you glean from this? For, for, for getting what, what you learned from the past and, and looking beyond the, the agricultural facts, what is the message? Perhaps it is a parable about being frugal and using your resources wisely. The, the lesson is, don't be a foolish farmer. Don't, don't waste your seed on unfertile soil that won't produce fruit. Or perhaps it is, it is a message about God's kindness to this foolish farmer. Even though he is wasteful, God still gives him a harvest. 
Or maybe it is something else altogether. Do you see the difficulty? Without, without insight from Jesus, it is hard to determine its meaning. And, and this is what, what the crowd was dealing with. I mean, even the disciples, those who had been with Jesus day and night, would need an explanation before they understood. Comprehending a parable is not an easy task. So why was Jesus teaching this way? Why parables? This is the exact question that the disciples asked. Look at verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? This was their first question. Not, not what did the parable mean, but why? Remember, up till now, Jesus had been straightforward in his teaching. This, this shift in his methodology even caught his disciples off guard. Well, let's, let's see how Jesus answered them. Look at verse 11. He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Jesus is making a distinction between the crowds and his disciples. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is that, is that those who are his disciples, those who are in the family of God, they will be given an understanding concerning God's kingdom that will be hidden from the rest of the world. It is a difference between those on the inside and those on the outside. And notice the language here. The, these things are given to them. It's not something that they had earned or, or figured out on their own. Rather, Jesus presents it freely. Think back to, to Matthew 11 after Jesus had admonished those unrepentant cities, the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Do you, do you remember what he said right after that? Look at, at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Just as the Father chooses those to whom he reveals and to whom he hides, so too Jesus can choose to reveal the Father to whom he wishes. And so in his parables, he has hidden the secrets of the kingdom from those who are hard of hearing and unresponsive <clears throat> to his call to repentance. And yet... He has chosen to reveal those same mysteries to those whom he has chosen to be his disciples. Dear friends, if, if you are a believer in Christ, you have not reached such a stage because of your own intelligence or your own goodness. No, you are a Christian because your eyes have been opened to see and your ears have been opened to hear. 
Listen, there, there is a knowledge that is necessary for salvation. And this knowledge is more than just an intellectual understanding. It is a knowing that is both comprehensive and relational. Com- comprehensive in, in that there are certain facts that one must know to be true in order to be saved. Truths such as the identity of Jesus as both God and man. And, and that he died for your sins and then rose from the dead three days later. Relational in that a person who has that knowledge has also been shaped by that knowledge as it softens their hearts and leads them to repentant faith in Jesus Christ. You see, a person can know all these things and yet withhold their trust from Christ. But a true saving knowledge includes an understanding of both who Jesus is and what he has done, as well as a repentant heart and a trusting love for their Savior. In other words, if you are a believer in Christ, then realize that you have received this knowledge by God's grace. Jesus chose you when he opened your heart and you received him as a little child. Let me ask you, do you know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? Not do you understand the meaning of God's word, but but have those meanings changed you from within? Do you come to Christ as a child, trusting in this one who has done so much for you? Or are are you like the crowds, shutting your eyes and, and closing your ears to the truth that is evident Have you hardened your heart to the reality of Jesus? As we'll soon find out in our final verses, this is exactly what the crowds had done. Look with me at the the end of our passage. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What we have in this explanation of why Jesus spoke in parables is a lengthy chiasm. What is a chiasm, you ask? It is a literary device connecting two or more thoughts using a symmetrical pattern. Chiastic structures are are often employed for both memorization and to emphasize a certain point. Let, let me show you what this looks like in a, in a simpler form. Just give me one second here while I adjust the screen. Don't worry, I'm still here. Take a look at Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or, be, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Think of this like an automobile. 
Uh, on the outside, you, you, you have the frame and the wheels that, that get you to where you want to go. But without the insides, without, without the gears and the engine, that frame and those wheels will not move. Now, now both are important, but it, it is the engine that drives the rest. So, so in this example, your automobile is trying to get you to a point where you are serving God. But the engine that, that drives you there is love and devotion. Those are the things that are central. Now let's look at let's look at our just one moment here. Let's look at our next example. Sorry, I'm having a little technical difficulties here. Here we go. All right, let's look at our passage and, and see the chiastic structure that Jesus employs for us. Sorry if the font is a bit small, um, but I do want you to see the, the, the structure that's going on. Uh, and based on this chiastic diagram, what, what is the destination of our automobile? It's, it's letters A, is it not? Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus is highlighting the difference between those who do not see and do not hear with those who both see and hear. But what is the engine that causes this distinction? What is it that, that, that differentiates between someone who both sees and hears and someone who does not see and does not hear? Just look at the center. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. A calloused heart that plugs its ears and closes its eyes. I'm back. All right, here's what you have to understand. This posture of being closed off to God doesn't come about because God is forcing it on people. No, this is exactly what their hearts want. They, they have purposefully plugged their ears and, and closed their eyes because they want to follow their own heart instead of their king. They are like that little child who has, who has learned to trick his parents by saying yes. They are, they are hearing, but they aren't listening. And that is the way it is with those who reject their Messiah. Dear friends, where is your heart today? Have you unplugged your ears so that you can hear his voice? Have you opened your eyes up so that you can see his glory? If you have, then, then, then count yourself blessed. For many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it. 
and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have trusted in him as both Lord and Savior, if you know that he he died for your sins and rose from the dead for your victory, if you consider yourself to be his disciple, then the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. This is why Jesus said, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Where are you today when it comes to the kingdom of God? Is your heart closed off so that you, that, that you won't listen? Or is it soft and ready to receive God's call? Turn from your unresponsiveness and trust in Jesus. He is the entrance to the kingdom of God, and only through him will you discover the secrets of his kingdom. Let us pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your your generosity. We are not deserving for you to show us anything. And yet you, you offer to us freely the secrets of your kingdom. We ask now that, that, that you would open up our eyes in our ears by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would reveal to us your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead. For it is only through him and him alone that we, we can find entrance into the, into the kingdom of heaven. Give us hearts that are soft, soft enough to receive the knowledge of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.